Well, good morning. My name is David. Great to be with you all here today. This is actually my family's first time in the Hamptons, so thanks for having us. And uh, maybe if we come again, we can uh, come sometime a little bit warmer as well. That'd be great. Uh, our sermon text today is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you know what I find hard? Maybe you're like me. I can handle taking on a new difficult project, like something that requires working long hours or developing new skills. And I can handle the pressure of something like a tense conversation or high profile event. You know what I find far more difficult? Doing one thing and doing it well, not just for days or weeks, but for months years, and decades. And one of the things that makes that challenging is there's always the allure of something new. It's much more exciting to start a new job than to think about continuing steadfastly in your career for the next 10, 20, 30 years. And another thing that makes it challenging is that even a small pressure, something like Maybe a coworker who rubs you the wrong way or a weekly task that you don't enjoy. When you experience even just a small pressure day in and day out, it can wear you down. If you're like me, what's most difficult is continuing along the same old path with diligence and dedication. And yet that's exactly what this passage for today calls us to do. It tells us to continue in the age-old faith, and it warns us of two difficulties. On the one side, there's persecution. For us, that may look like the fear of being looked down on or maybe called a bigot. And that day-in and day-out pressure can wear us down and cause us to swerve to the left and downplay or compromise our faith. And on the other side, there's the allure of false teaching, promising something new and promising progress, and it tries to lure us to the right. But in the face of these two things trying to pull us in either direction, 
This passage calls us to continue straight along the same old path. So here's the main point of this passage. In the face of persecution and false teaching, we must continue in the age-old faith. So let's dig into it. The first thing we see is the difficulty of persecution. Look at verse 10. So it starts with this contrast between Timothy and the false teachers whom Paul warned him against in the previous passage. These false teachers have denied the faith and embraced their sin. But you, however, Paul says, you have followed my teaching and my conduct. But not only that, you have also followed, verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. We can read about these persecutions in Acts 13 through 14. Here's what happened. In Antioch, some of the religious leaders stirred up persecution against Paul, and he was forced to flee to Iconium. But in Iconium, some of the leaders there even tried to stone him. And so he flees to Lystra, Timothy's hometown. But some of the leaders from Iconium and Antioch follow him to Lystra, and this time they succeed. They persuade a crowd to stone Paul to death. They leave him for dead. But when they leave and the Christians of the city gather around Paul, he gets up and walks right back into the city. Can you imagine? And imagine being Timothy. Timothy either witnessed these things firsthand or heard about them from maybe Paul himself or from other firsthand accounts. And Paul reminds Timothy of these persecutions and warns him that this isn't just something that he experienced, and this isn't just something for which Timothy should be prepared, He says, look at in verse 12, Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It could be in severe ways like it was for Paul. It's happening in the world today. It's happening in places where Pastor Mark visited the past couple weeks. Or it could be in less severe but still very real ways. When you're open about your faith, you might be ridiculed or gossiped about behind your back. You may miss out on opportunities, or you could even lose your job. The type of persecution varies, but what is common to us all is that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus said the same thing. He said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The first difficulty this passage warns us against is the difficulty of persecution. The second is the deception of false teaching. Look at verses 12 and 13. It starts out, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then here's the second difficulty. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving 
and being deceived. The difficulty is that there are imposters, people who claim to be Christians, but in reality, they're not. And they try to deceive us and to lead us astray. There's an irony in the Greek here that tells us more about the nature of this false teaching. The verb in the beginning of verse 13 means to progress. So, the, so these imposters progress from bad to worse. They think that they're progressing, but what they're really progressing then isn't good, but evil. They're deceived about what they're doing, and they deceive others. This is actually the third time in this letter that Paul has used this verb ironically to describe the false teachers. These false teachers were always trying to advance to something new. We're told earlier in verse 7 that those who followed them were always learning something new, but never arriving at knowledge of the truth. They think they're progressing, but in reality, they're just going from bad to worse. And this is an important warning for us here today. In our culture today, we value especially the new. We value progress. The old is stale. What gets us excited is not something old. We get excited about something new. And there's a danger in that. New can be good, but new is not always good. For example, as a society, we're finally realizing that not everything about our recent technological advances is good. Our obsession with screens can also lead to loneliness and anxiety. Likewise, a new job can be exciting, but it may not always bring a better quality of life. We need to be on guard against the allure of the new, against our tendency to view anything new as progress. And in the case of theology, new is certainly not good. I'm going to make a uh, slightly nerdy reference, but one that I think the Apostle Paul would be happy to hear. Uh, there's this guy, this theologian named Charles Hodge, arguably one of the greatest or maybe even the greatest American theologian of the 19th century. And he famously said of Princeton Seminary, where he taught, he said, I am not afraid to say a new idea never originated in this seminary. And this is an academic. They're usually, it's their job to advance new ideas. But his point was that at a time when other theologians were attempting to reimagine Christianity, denying things like the resurrection of Christ and the God-inspired nature of Scripture, thinking that what we needed to do was to bring Christianity more in line with modern ideas, he affirmed that what we need is not something new, but the timeless truths of God. What brings us life is not something novel, but a further delve into the unchanging truths of our unchanging God. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't discover things that are new to us about God. Of course we will. But discovering something is different than inventing something. And refining our beliefs is different than throwing them out and starting with something completely new. What we need is not something new, but a greater knowledge of and a greater closeness to our great and loving God. 
So here's an application. When someone claims to have a fresh new insight about who God is, be cautious about what they say next. When someone tells you to rethink a Christian ethical claim, compare it to what you see in Scripture. It may be true, or it may not be. And it's not always obvious, because these false teachers, remember, are deceptive. Discuss it with Pastor Mark and with others whose knowledge of God you trust. And if you're new to Christianity, or maybe you're just exploring Christianity and you don't even know where to start, that's okay. The more that you study God's Word, the clearer these things become. And the more that you make friends with others who are further along in their faith, the more they can help you discern these things. Because of the abundance of false teaching, it, it will be difficult. But through his people and by his Spirit, God will lead you into the truth. So the first difficulty Paul warns us against is that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. The second difficulty is that false teachers will try to deceive us and lead us astray. So what are we to do? Look at verse 14. This is the main point of this passage. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. That is the word of God. With persecution on one side and false teaching on the other, we must continue in what we have learned. This is in contrast to the imposters who claim to be progressing to something new. Instead, we must continue in what we have already learned. And while the threat of persecution can uh, tempt us to downplay or even to, uh, change our beliefs to be more in line with what culture believes, we are called to continue steadfast in what we have firmly believed. And this passage gives us three reasons why. Three reasons to continue in the age-old faith. The first one is like this. How many of you would seek financial advice from someone who received a massive inheritance, but then lost it all due to mismanagement? Anyone? Of course not. We seek financial advice from people who have proven to be good managers of their money. We seek career advice from those who have accomplished what we want to accomplish in our career. We seek advice from the wise old sage whose life has proven their wisdom. This is the first reason that Paul gives Timothy to continue in what he has learned. Look at verse 13. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Timothy is to continue in what he has learned because he knows from whom he has learned it, and he knows their character. He knows that their lives have demonstrated that what they believe is good and true. Who has he learned it from? Well, we know who at least three of these people all are. Uh, we know it's his grandmother Lois, uh, his mother Eunice, and the Apostle Paul himself. And in contrast to the character of the false teachers, which Paul tells us earlier in this chapter reveals that they're really just imposters, in contrast to them, the character of those from whom Timothy has learned attests to the trustworthiness of what he has been taught. 
Like a financial advisor who handles their money well gives us confidence that what they have taught us is true, so too the godliness of Timothy's grandmother, mother, and the Apostle Paul gives him confidence that what they have taught him is good and true. So here's one way that this applies to you. In the midst of contradictory teachings, one of the ways that you can discern the truth is by observing the lifestyle of those who teach. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And this is how he tells us how to recognize them. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. If you've learned the faith from godly men and women, let that give you confidence to continue in what they have taught you. With false teachers trying to deceive you, the character of those from whom you learned attests to the truthfulness of what they believe. And when persecution tempts you to veer to the other side, like Paul's steadfastness was an example to Timothy, let their steadfastness inspire you towards the same. Now, really quick, some of you maybe are thinking, uh, well, what if those from whom I learned haven't remained faithful? What if they had a moral failing or they left the faith? What if they didn't remain steadfast under persecution? Well, that should give you pause but it doesn't necessarily undermine everything that they taught you for at least two reasons. First, if, re if you received financial advice from someone who then later lost all their money from mismanagement, that should lead you to consider if some of the advice they gave you was flawed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that everything that they taught you was wrong. Likely there was good advice mixed in with the bad. And maybe the reason why they lost all their money was because they didn't themselves follow the advice that they gave to you. Likewise, if a friend or a pastor has left the faith, that should give you pause to consider if part of what they taught you was wrong. But it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that they taught you was wrong. And second, it doesn't mean to undermine all your confidence in Christianity, because while the character of those from whom Timothy learned the faith is one reason he's told to continue, it isn't the only reason. The Apostle Paul gives two other reasons, the last of which has nothing to do with the character of those he learned from, and has everything to do with the character of Scripture itself. Even if those from whom you learned were unfaithful, God is faithful, and Scripture is breathed out by him. But we'll get to that later. The second reason to continue in the faith is in verse 15. Take a look. It says, to continue in what you have learned, knowing how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. When people ask me who uh, the most influential people in my faith are, I always tell them that number one is my mom. My dad is also a believer now, but he wasn't yet a believer when I was young. But my mom tirelessly took my siblings and me to church every week, led us in Bible studies every morning, and showed us the love of Christ. More than anyone else, it's because of her that I know our Savior. Like Timothy's mother showed him the love of Christ and taught him the goodness of his word, so too my mother did the same from a young age. It's like when you move into a new neighborhood. My wife and I moved uh, to the Upper West Side about a year and a half ago. 
uh, in Manhattan. And uh, it took a while for us to learn things like the most scenic route to the park or the best Chinese restaurant or um, the quickest way home from work. But eventually it all becomes second nature. Similarly, thanks to my mom from a young age, I knew my way around the Bible became familiar with it and experienced firsthand its goodness and truth. Now today, that is one reason why I continue in the faith. It's like this. Because I'm already familiar with the best Chinese restaurant in my neighborhood, I'm not going to be easily persuaded by someone who tries to tell me that there's a better place. And even if someone were to bully me to try to get me to change my mind, it's not going to change my loyalty. Likewise, if you've been acquainted with the Bible since childhood, that can be a reason to continue in the faith in the midst of false teaching trying to lure you astray or persecution trying to intimidate you to compromise what you believe. If you have a parent or a grandparent who has done that for you, thank God for that and thank them for that. Send them a text today, give them a call, send them a letter. And thank them for the reason that they give you to continue in the faith. And if you're a parent, teach your kids the Bible from a young age. According to Jewish custom, Timothy's mother and likely his grandmother in this situation as well would have begun teaching Timothy at the age of five. And get this, guess what book of the Bible they started with? Leviticus. With all of its laws about ritual purity. Now, I'll give you permission to start with a different book. That's fine. The important thing is that you start. It's not easy, but it was a reason for Timothy, and it was a reason for me, is a reason for me to continue in the faith. And it can be a reason for your kids, too. And if you need recommendations for resources, email Pastor Mark or Leslie. I'm sure they would be happy to help. So the first reason Timothy is to continue in the faith is that he knows from whom he learned it. The second reason is that since or from childhood, he's been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, just like the first reason, this reason isn't ultimate. Just because you learned something from childhood doesn't mean it's true. And just because you haven't learned the faith from childhood doesn't mean that you can't have confidence to continue in the faith. These first two reasons are just supporting reasons for the big reason in verses 16 through 17. This third reason completely overshadows the first two, and it applies to all of us. Take a look, verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In the face of persecution and false teaching, we must continue in what we have already learned, most of all, because it's nothing less than the very words of God. And again, there's a strong contrast here between the false teachers and this word. First, unlike the teaching of the false teachers, this is no mere human advice. This is breathed out by God. It is God's own word to you. And second, unlike the false teachers who go from bad to worse, the word of God equips us to grow godlier and godlier. It trains us in righteousness. 
And third, unlike the false teachers who were always trying to progress to something new, the Word of God is totally sufficient. We don't need to look elsewhere. Look at verse 17 again. It says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God gives us everything we need for salvation and godly living. Here, not in something new, here are the very words of God that equip us for every good work. And fourth, whereas the false teachers were deceiving and being deceived, the Word of God corrects us. It corrects our wrong beliefs and teaches us the truth. So how do you keep yourself from swerving to the left, being deceived by false teaching? Dive into the Word of God. First and foremost, that's by coming on Sunday mornings and hearing the Word of God preached. That's actually what the Apostle Paul talks about in the very next verse. And another great way to do this is with grace groups. Pastor Mark told me a little bit about these groups and it sounds like that is a great way to dive into his word together, to let it shape you, to let it correct and teach and train you in righteousness. And how do you keep yourself from veering to the rights under the pressure of persecution? Come to know and love God through his word. The more you do, the more you become convinced that these are the very words of hope and life, the more you gladly suffer persecution, even be stoned and left for dead like Paul, rather than deny the God who gave himself for you. But here's the problem. It's still a struggle to continue in the faith. In the face of persecution, it's tempting to hide or compromise our faith. At times, we all buckle under the pressure. And in the face of false teaching, it can be hard to discern what's true. And our, our uh, sinful and weak hearts are easily lured by the flash of something new. To one degree or another, we're all led astray by wrong beliefs about who God is and who he has called us to be. With persecution on one side and, uh, and false teaching on the other, it's hard to continue straight along the same old path. In one way or another, we all stray. But the good news is that even if we are faithless, He remains faithful. Though we fail, Jesus Christ continued faithful till the end. In the midst of false teachers with religious, uh, with false teaching with religious teachers denying who he was and teaching all sorts of wrong beliefs about who we were called to be, Jesus continued the course. And in the face of persecution, though he was arrested, beaten, mocked, and killed, still till his dying breath, he remained because he died and rose again for our sin, or died for our sin and rose again from the dead, now nothing can separate us from his love. 
Though we stumble and fall, he keeps us still. By his word and spirit, he will guard our hearts and minds from being led astray by false teaching. And he will rescue us out of every persecution. And indeed, rescue us even from death itself. His promise to you is this. In the face of persecution and false teaching, he will take you by the hand and lead you in the path to life. Let's pray. God, thank you that although we are faithless, you remain faithful. Thank you for sending your son to live and die so that nothing not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, not even death can separate us from your love. By your Spirit in us, teach and correct us that we might not be led astray, but might come to know and love you more and more each day. And as we do, strengthen us to remain steadfast under persecution, that we might serve you faithfully all the days of our lives. Do this for the sake of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.